nice to have a little fuller room. This is fun. I think Sunlight's new motto is, every week we're going to put you in a different seat. That's the goal. What's up, guys? So uh, I'm Sean. I'm a church planning pastor here. And uh, we're starting a church. It's going to be awesome. We're having a lot of fun. And uh, it's nice to be with you. Uh, I was thinking this morning as I was uh, driving here that uh, we all kind of come here uh, with different experiences this morning. I know uh, first service I felt just heavy in my heart that some people came uh, with just a real heaviness or an anxiety or depression that they were just kind of carrying through the door. And some of us came here alone and uh, we're, we're battling with loneliness. And some of us came here maybe in conflict with somebody in our own household. Uh, I got four kids. I know what it's like to drive to church in the morning, try to get everybody out the door. Um, they're usually yelling at me, by the way. I don't want you guys to think that my kids are bad. It's usually dad, right? Um, and yet, uh, no matter where we've come or what kind of context that we come with, uh, today we come to a good place. Uh, that's together in the presence of God. And we get to come here and sing and pray and speak to the Lord and, and be ministered to by his word. And he knew each and every one of you would be in the room today even in the last week as I've been praying and preparing for this time. Uh, and so my prayer today is that the, the word of God will just minister and grab your heart some and uh, cause us to be people of action and not just be uh, continue or, or maybe fall back to passivity in our faith. And so I'm going to just pray and ask the Lord to come and be with us now. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so grateful to be here, with, uh, here at Sunlight this morning. I know, God, that you have... Um, work to do in our minds and our hearts. Lord, for some of us, it's going to be an encouragement to be here in your presence today. For others of us, it's going to be a challenge. But for all of us, it's a process of becoming uh, more like your son and growing in deeper intimacy with you. So Lord, I pray today that you would allow us to be a people of tender hearts and open ears as we receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I like this amen thing. Let's keep that going. Okay. Oh, that's good. Uh, we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 18. So if you have a Bible, you can open it to 1 Samuel 18. If you have an iPhone, you can open your Bible app. If you have Google, maybe you have your home computer in front of you, uh, you can open that up as well. Everyone's looking around like, who is it? Um, and while you're looking that up, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this guitar. When I was in high school... Um, as a freshman, I picked up playing the guitar, and to be honest with you, I picked up the guitar because the tuba was not getting the ladies. <laughs> and so when I picked up the guitar, I had one track mine, but I quickly fell in love with this instrument, and I began to play uh, often. Now, I didn't have this guitar. I had a 1969 Harmony Rocket, which I still have. Um, but I started to play in our school jazz band, and the more and more I played... Uh, I realized, ah, I really have a knack for this, and I really, I just enjoy it. I found myself practicing all of the time. And our jazz band would go compete in con competitions, and we were really good. We'd win awards and prizes everywhere we went. One of the biggest competitions of the year was uh, the Clark County Jazz Festival in Vancouver, Washington. And uh, we went to uh, the festival and played a song called Summertime. And it's a beautiful, kind of slower jazz, bluesy piece. And um, I was sponsored by a local guitar shop, and so this was the guitar that they loaned me uh, to play at that, at that competition. 
And uh, little did I know that um, they gave out awards for really good solos, and I got a soloist award at the uh, competition. And um, it was a big deal. I had no idea. I was the only 1A kid school, uh, kid from a 1A school that got a, an award. Everybody else were all 4A kids, uh, 4A school kids. How do you say that? And it was a, it was a real turning point for me because it, I just felt like I was, uh, I kind of had arrived. But it was the beginning of the end in all honesty um, because, <laughs> because uh, I felt like every competition that I went to after that, uh, I had to win some kind of award. And I felt like every time I got up in front of people in one of those events, I had to maintain some sort of title, like some sort of heavyweight boxer or something, right? Uh, and I was far from heavyweight. I like weighed a buck 20 all the way through high school. So, um, and so yet, time and time again, I would go to these concert, these competitions, and as the years went on, I just, I grew bitter. I grew resentful. I grew jealous of the other people that were winning awards. I ceased to enjoy the simplicity of playing the guitar. And I found at the end of it that competitions just robbed me of all enjoyment. In fact, I named my guitar Tragedy Ann. <laughs> uh, and I had a picture of Raggedy Ann on the back for a long time, for those of you that are children of the 80s. Um, as just a reminder that uh, this is not an instrument to be played in comparison, but for enjoyment. And I think it's interesting because I think oftentimes when we get a blessing in our lives, uh, we can allow some of those things that we have grown fond of or comfortable in uh, to sometimes spoil us. Um, and how many of us have been spoiled by a good thing? Uh, we spoil the good thing, I mean, by being discontent with what we have. And how often have we allowed our lives to live in comparison to what others have or what we perceive they have, therefore robbing the joys that we have been blessed with in our own life. Discontentment and jealousy is on the rise, and every time I open my phone, I seem to be tempted by discontentment and jealousy day in and day out. And so I want to, as we look at this passage today, and we're going to look at the lives of David and Saul we're going we're gonna to see one man who's rising in the favor of God and in popularity. And we're going to see another man who is continuing to distance himself from God and growing in anxiety and jealousy and ultimately going mad. And um, I think that that lets us know that we kind of have two choices as well. Um, I want to use this phrase, uh, where are your eyes in your living? Are my eyes focused on Christ, the author and perfecter of my faith, um, of whom I can be faithful to and has called me in all joy and contentment? Or are my eyes on my circumstances or the world around me causing me jealousy and anxiety to well up inside my heart and my mind? It reminds me of Luke chapter 17, verse 33, where it says, Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will keep it. And so may we be a people that pursue the heart and mind of Christ and are willing to lose everything for the wonderful, beautiful knowledge of, of seeking him. So today we're going to read in 1 Samuel 18. I'm going to just read one verse, 
uh, as we get started, but then we're going to dive in to the whole text. And so First uh, Samuel chapter 18, verse 14, it says, And David had success in all of his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord was with him. Now David, his, his meteoric rise uh, in Israel uh, is an interesting story. And we're going to take a look at his life today, who, uh, of the life of David today, who in this chapter is faithful to God. And then by contrast, we're going to look at Saul, who's focused on himself and trying to preserve his own kingdom of Israel. And so what happens leading up to this story? Let me give you a little back, back story, okay? A little context, a little rewind button. Um, so God anoints uh, Saul to be the first king of Israel. God gives Saul very specific actions to do as king. Uh, as time goes on, Saul starts to wean from God's d- direct plan. And ultimately, he sins against God. And so God removes the anointing from Saul and places it through Samuel to go and give it to a, a new king who will be David. And uh, also, David is a ridiculous guitar player. Um, it's called the liar. A little less strings, so not as good. But um, he gives David uh, the, uh, the, the gift, of the ability to go and play for Saul, who finds that playing music is uh, the only thing that calms his anxiety, right? And so David goes and plays for the king, and then the Philistines, they rise up against God's people, and they have this huge giant named Goliath, and they're looking for someone who will stand up against him in one-on-one combat. And this little ruddy shepherd boy shows up with his guitar in one hand and sling in the other, and he's like, I'll totally take him. And um, he goes out, just picture like little Ed Sheeran going to battle. That's what we're talking about here, right? And so uh, he goes and defeats Goliath. He becomes a hero of the people, and all the while as David is growing and and, and uh, experiencing favor, Saul's son Jonathan comes to him. It says that their hearts are knit together. Jonathan makes a covenant with David uh, to essentially say that David is the heir apparent uh, to be the next king. And all the while, while all these wonderful things are happening for David, not wonderful things are happening for Saul. He becomes more desperate, anxious, and jealous. And this is where our story picks up. And so as we read through the text today, I want to encourage you to look for two things. One, David's actions, and two, Saul's response. So as we read it, I want you to just keep an ear open to what is David doing, and how is Saul responding to him. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 5 to 16, it says this. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people... And also in the sight of Saul's servants, 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 it's time to drink a little coffee. This portion of the sermon is brought to you by my Elsie mug. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong time, right word. Okay. (laughs) And so what's happening is David is becoming incredibly... Uh, successful, and Saul sees that, so he continues to promote him in relationship uh, or in his position in the kingdom. And it says that everyone agrees, this is a good thing. This is the right guy. And so the next verse says, 
as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, while David has struck down his tens of thousands. Now, when I first read this passage, I always kind of assumed it was a song of mockery. I thought it was satire. But it's not. It's a song of genuine praise, right? Look at Saul. We're, we're acknowledging Saul and all that he's done. And his, his general, David, has gone out and has done greater things for, in the name of Saul. And so we see here that these people are uh, just celebrating the victories that Israel is experiencing. And yet, look how Saul reacts. The next verse. Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. Saul said, they have ascribed to David tens of thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more could he have but the kingdom? Okay, this escalates pretty quickly. Saul hears one song, and now he's thinking that David's trying to usurp the throne. Let's just praise God they did not have Twitter back in the day. Because this guy would have come off the rails. But this is what jealousy does in all of our lives. It escalates our interpretation of what's happening around us in an unhealthy way. And so jealousy is like a cancer inside of Saul. He can't even hear a song of praise without thinking it has something to do with him. And it eats him up. The next verse is important. It says, and Saul eyed David from that day on. And Saul eyed David from that, that day on. That's a weird sentence, but it's a pivotal verse. If Saul was eyeing David, who was Saul not eyeing? God, or his kingdom, or his people. And what does that mean, that he eyed David? It means that he fixated on him out of jealousy and bitterness. That there was a real, um, he couldn't think about it, he became obsessed with David. For Saul, little compromises led to bigger distance between him and God. Early in, earlier in chapter 15, the Lord tells Samuel to instruct Saul in a battle plan to wop, wipe out the Amalekites, sparing no one or their property because of their wickedness and evil. But Saul, even though he defeated the Amalekites, spoils, uh, keeps some of the spoils of war, spares one of the kings, thus defying God, and grieving Samuel. Listen to what God tells Samuel in verse 11 of chapter 15. I regret that I had made Saul king, for he had turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. But sadly, when Saul was confronted with these, uh, his sin, he justifies his sin. So not only is he growing in jealousy and bitterness in his life, but that began back at a time where he was justifying his sin by saying that he took the spoils of the Lord to offer them as, a, as an offering to the Lord. But this is not what God told him. And this led Samuel to follow the instructions of the Lord to go find a new king, and that king was David. So we've got Saul, who is doing, who is doing the eyeing of David. And it says in the next verse in chapter 18, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house, not a dance party, but like an anger thing. He raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had the spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear 
For he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. By the way, when it comes time for Thanksgiving and you think it's going to be difficult with your in-laws, I want you to open up 1 Samuel 18 and think about the fact that this in-law is hurling spears at his future son-in-law. Let's call that a dysfunctional family relationship. Can we, can we all agree on that? In chapter 16, David was brought in to play the liar to calm Saul, essentially making David the Harry Styles of his day. And now he's doing that every day. It says he's now playing for Saul every day, day in and day out, which is alluding to the fact that Saul's madness is growing, that he's, that he's becoming more anxious and, and falling apart more and more. And so I want to address something, though, that's troubling in this verse that, that you might have missed or it might be hanging on in your mind a little bit. And it's this. It says there at the end of the verse, the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, especially a familiar story, I kind of skip things sometimes. And sometimes I might miss little phrases that could erode at my understanding. God took his spirit from Saul. Can God do that? I thought, I thought that was kind of a one and done thing. Uh, according to my notes in my apologetic study Bible, which I felt like uh, framed it up the best, it says this. Once God the Father gives the Holy Spirit to, the per to a person, does the Spirit remain with that person or can he depart? At least three other passages in addition to the present verse suggest that the Holy Spirit can be taken away from people who persisted in living in disobedience towards God. But on the other hand, in John 14, look what Christ says. In John 14, 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you forever. The New Testament teaches that the death and resurrection of Jesus fundamentally changes certain aspects of humanity's relationship with God. The old covenant of Sinai was replaced with the new covenant of Christ's body and his blood. In fact, Hebrews 13 says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And with this change, the Holy Spirit begins operating differently in the lives of God's people. The New Testament, for example, speaks of the Holy Spirit as a gift for believers in Jesus Christ and a seal on their hearts, a guarantee of eternal life. Besides being given to women and Gentiles, there's no examples of that in the Old Testament, uh, of, re of them receiving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is permanently indwelling in, the pres in our presence in the lives of all Christians. The New Testament provides no instances of the Holy Spirit departing from a Christian. This suggests that what happens to Saul cannot happen to a believer in Christ. So I want to encourage you, take a deep breath. We are under a new covenant. And by the grace of God, he has made a new and binding deal with us. And the same spirit that dwells in David dwells today forever in his believers without condition. That's, that was, that's the right time. So I just wanted to address that because I think Oftentimes, when we read through passages, man, we just let that stuff eat us away a little bit. We may not, not even know it. 
But it's important, too, because in this text, we're going to understand that, you know, David, for all his right living and good choices in this chapter, uh, he needed the Spirit of God to be with him and empower him. Uh, let's go on to this, our story. So Saul removed David from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. That means he went out to battle and came back successfully. And David has success in all of his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. Verse 15. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and he came in before them. How did Saul deal with his David problem? He sent him to battle, and he removed him from his presence. Some commentaries that I read suggested that this was almost a demotion for Dave being, David being brought out of his court. Dave, like we're on a first name basis. <laughs> from his position, Saul was removing all those in his life who sought to honor the Lord and speak truth. He removed Samuel, now he's removing David, uh, who's trying to obey him and, and honor and glory, obey God and honor and glory and honor the king. Um, but David, nonetheless, was victorious in all of his ways. So Saul changes his strategy from simply removing David to plotting David's death. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 17. Then Saul, bless you. Then Saul said to David, here is my elder daughter Mirab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me to fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Essentially saying... You know what, I'm not going to be blamed for his death. I'm going to let the Philistines take care of that. I'm going to send him out to battle, to die. What's interesting to me is that Saul here is adding conditions to David marrying his daughter, even though David already fulfilled the conditions. When the, the call went out for someone to come and fight Goliath, one of the carrots on a stick, shall we say, was that if you were to defeat this man, Goliath, in battle, you would win the hand of one of the king's daughters. David had already done that, but Saul is trying to get rid of David, and so he, he backs up on the deal, and he changes it. And instead, though, of David insisting on getting what's owed to him, he responds in humility to Saul, which shows us the, the place of his heart. It says, and David said to Saul, in, in the next verse here, Who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? And David goes on to succeed in battle. What a place of humility. In a time where all of us feel that in some point of our lives or other that we deserve this or we deserve that. David, when he was truly deserving of something so great, says, who am I to even get... To get that, of course, I'll go do whatever, whatever I need to do. Now, what happens next, in the very next verse, is that Saul marries off that daughter to another guy. Because he really has no intention of fulfilling that promise. And he probably thought, well, David's not going to make it back from that battle anyway. And so David does come back. And Saul promises another one of his daughters with the condition of being victorious in battle. And David succeeds there as well. There's a whole thing about foreskins in there. We're not going to get into it. There's children in the room. I'll let you guys describe it to them at home. <laughs> but I'm going to skip ahead to the, the end here. Because the, the result is the same. 
David goes out, is faithful, succeeds in battle, comes back. And in verse 29 of 1 Samuel 18, it says this. Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Saul was David's enemy continually. There's a few thoughts as we uh, kind of come to the end of, our, of this passage here. What begins in the spirit for Saul ended in the flesh. And Saul is a tragic story of a fall from grace. My hope today is that Saul's life is a warning for us to reflect on our own character flaws and humble ourselves to deal with the darkness that still lies in maybe our hearts. We, however, do not, as Christ followers, do not have to hold erratically onto what is freely given to us. We have assurance that God's spirit will not depart from us who are in Christ, but with us forever as remind us of his gracious love towards us. Where are my eyes? Are my eyes fixated on controlling my reputation or others' perceptions of me or others' actions? Are my eyes to make outcomes happen for myself and my own self-righteousness? To look a certain way, to be perceived a certain way? Or are my eyes to ref, uh, fixated on Christ to reflect his glory? And believe me when I say this, there have been times in my life where my eyes have been fixated upon my own self-glory only to be met with crippling, bedridden anxiety and pain and shame and hurt. I can identify when I read this to both David and to Saul. And believe me, there was no sweet voice of Harry Styles that could relieve me from that anxiety either. Just, I, I'm killing the Harry Styles joke, but I really feel like it's important. No, it's just funny to me in my head. God bless you. Now, you might have missed it earlier in this passage, but this was the beginning of a very difficult and scary, sometimes lonely road for David. Because after this passage, Saul uh, is, intensifies his persecution of David, leaving David running for his life. He had a promise that he would be the next king of Israel. However, now he's spending lonely nights, sometimes alone, hiding in caves. You might be there in your own life. You have the promise of being a child of God and living in comfort and knowing, knowledge that he loves you and has redeemed you, but you're not feeling it right now. And it reminds me of what Paul wrote in Romans 8, that we know for, uh, that for those who love God, all things work according to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. As David was enduring all of these difficulties, God was preparing his life and him to be the king. David's life is an example of trust despite human evil, causing David's eyes to remain on God and not the comforts that come with success and power. His actions remind us in this, his actions in this, in this chapter remind us of the proverb that says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Jesus takes it a step further and says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever his life, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? How much of your life can you hold on to and still follow Jesus? None of it. The Apostle Paul exhorts Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Amen? And so even as David was fleeing Saul in the struggle and loneliness and uncertainty, he continues to hold tight to God and strove to honor him with his actions. Psalm 18, David is a psalm of David composing while on the run from Saul. Listen to the words. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold. What a beautiful place for us to be as we face hardship and dark days. That we can contently praise God because his goodness supersedes our circumstances. Even though David was faithful, he too was human. And beyond 18, we see that he fails as well. In fact, we see David as king, growing in comfort of his power and his wealth, take a page out of Saul's playbook when he sends Uriah to battle to die so he can take Uriah's wife Bathsheba as his own. But where David fails, there is a true and better king without sin or failure to come, and that is Jesus Christ. And just as David later experienced repentance and restoration from God, so can we, when we turn to Christ, our King, in our failures, and let the grace of Christ by his own shed blood experience the wholeness of God's Spirit in us that will never depart. And yet God will encourage and empower us to live as reflections of God's love and grace in a broken and desperate world. May we be those people. Which of us here today needs to repent of trying to preserve our own life while living in jealous, anxious disobedience against God? Who among us here is eyeing the life of success of others, the, the perceived successes of others, only to grow in jealousy and discontentment? I want to encourage you to search your hearts today. 
though we have security in the face of Jesus Christ for our salvation, God still has work to do as he redeems, as he continues to sanctify us and prepare us for that day. Amen? My hope is that we would have the same attitude in our lives, the same way Paul encouraged the, the Philippians. Whatever gain I've counted in my life, I count it all as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as rubbish because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. My hope from reflecting on this passage isn't that, we would, isn't that we would be steeped in shame, but we would find renewed vision as we fix our eyes again on the author and perfecter of our faith. That we wouldn't turn our eyes away from God in shame, but turn our shame to God to experience the grace and hope that he freely offers us. One of my favorite preachers is uh, Charles Spurgeon, and he says this, there may be some sins of which man cannot speak, but there is no sin that the blood of Christ cannot wash away. And so let us come to him now in prayer and then to the Lord's table to remember the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness while establishing us firmly under his new covenant with peace and hope as we live for him. Amen? And amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for this time. I'm grateful to be with these wonderfully loving people. God, we're all people in process, and we come here from all kinds of places today. But we all come to the foot of your cross now, where we, where we reside in grace. I pray, Lord, that you would lift from us the burdens that so easily ensnare us, that you would Hear our hearts, those of us here that need to cry out for forgiveness for our comparative living and our jealousy and our discontentment. Lord, I pray that you would help us find in you contentment in you alone. God, may we not lean on our own understanding. But Lord, I pray that we would, we would lean into your Holy Spirit and experience the wisdom and the power to live a life of honor and glory for you by your grace. Lord, wash us clean. Renew our hearts and our minds today. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Pastor Tom.